If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Know what's important and almost impossible for me to do on a regular basis? Well, according to my wife, it's actually doing a load of laundry every once in a while. But you know what's even more important than that? Reading the Bible. As you all know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, I am terrible at being consistent with it, but I have a solution that's been making it super easy to stay engaged with the Word. It's an app called Dwell. It's a Bible listening app with all your favorite translations read by the silkiest voices in the game. And one of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music's lyrics feature, that's exactly what you expect from read-along at Dwell. Awesome backgrounds, big, bold text that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I'm telling you, you need to try it. You're going to love it. Go to dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for life. Look, the listening plans and playlists alone have made it super easy for a Dumbo like me to stay organized and consistent with reading the Bible. Seriously, it's it's genuinely a great user experience. To get started with Dwell, Go to dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life. 33% off means you save 50 bucks. So make sure again to visit dwellapp.io slash preachers and sneakers and commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for your life. Yo, 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 yo. It's the preachers and sneakers podcast with your boy, Ben Kirby. Back at it again. It's July First, somehow we're making it through the summer at blazing speed and blazing temps. In Dallas, it is it is obscene going outside and trying to exist as a human. The the heat and the humidity are just it I'm a worse person because of this heat. I cannot fully be myself in an environment that is basically a mix between a hot tub and a double oven that my wife actually wants me to spend money on for our kitchen. It's too hot and I'm done with it. I don't get how people live like this and we continue to live like this when there's literally other places you can live in the country where you don't have to experience 115 with 100% humidity. Now, sure, people have it worse than us in Dallas, but I'm not them and I'm not there. I'm in Dallas and I'm your boy BK, and it's brutal outside. You know, this isn't really a weather rant podcast, but uh, this is off the dome and this is what I'm feeling right now. It's hard to ignore because it's it's blazing hot outside, as everyone in Texas 
can probably agree. And at the same time, you're having to max out your AC in your house and pay out the wazoo for utility bills. And it's hilarious that the first, I don't know, the first week that the temperature really went to like standard Texas murder heat, the, uh, I don't know what it stands for, but ERCOT, something, something energy of Texas sends an email to everybody asking us to uh, conserve power. Like, bro, y'all know this summer happens every single year at this same scale and temperature, and y'all are asking us to conserve energy, bro? How about you freaking do something about your prices? Or your, remember that little ice storm that y'all had a little snafu with? Why don't you get your affairs in order and conserve your energy? Instead of making us conserve ours. Anyways, that's uh, neither here nor there nor anywhere. But we're back at it. It's the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. This is episode six of season two. We're on our second season, and it's literally just really arbitrarily me deciding, all right, this is season two. We didn't have some big capstone or some major event that closed season one. But I mean, I guess the the release of the Preachers and Sneakers book was a good initiating factor for season two. So we're we're at it. It's a lot less interviews for season two because I really wanted to start out by doing episodes around the chapters of the book. But now I'm I'm switching things up a bit and trying to continue to broaden the content and explore new avenues that make sense for the brand, the account, or whatever, while also uh, staying true to maybe what I care about and what got us started in the first place. I'm not trying to completely get away from preachers literally wearing sneakers, but I'm also trying to hopefully expand our horizons a bit because I have this audience that feels a type of way about how we do church in the West but probably cares about some other things as well. I just had a really good conversation with a guy at a record label in Nashville who was uh, giving me some basically free advice about where to take the platform and the brand, and it was very helpful. And I think there's some exciting stuff to come. And it can't come quick enough because these diapers continue to be used, and nobody cares about how many followers you have if you can't pay for the diapers. So trying to figure out some new ways forward and hopefully continue doing this uh, interesting social media, brand, podcast, merch, speaking thing. Speaking of speaking, that sounds redundant. I literally just did my first live speaking engagement. Now, technically, I did one back in early 2020 for Liberty with David Nasser as like a on-site recorded interview that they played for their convocation. But this was like an actual interview slash talk in front of live human people, which I had zero idea about how that was going to go. Because I've like literally never done that before. I guess I've done it in different contexts, like in the military, I've spoken in front of a bunch of people, and then maybe in business but not as like, oh, we've come to see this guy speak. 
so that was an interesting experience. Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim in California. I'm going to be honest. I did not know where Anaheim was. I, I'd always, I think, is it in the Mighty Ducks? Is Anaheim, is it based, is the Mighty Ducks based in Anaheim? Somebody let me know. But this is my first time to Anaheim, technically. And, you know, it's the L.A. area, SoCal type, or Orange County. I think it's Orange County, Anaheim. Anyways, Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. My guy, Raymond Gregory, invited me out there to chat it up for one of their Sunday night services. Super fun stuff. I was uh, very appreciative that they would bring me as, like, this non- pastor dude to come hopefully talk about things in a way that uh, maybe is different from what they're used to hearing. And so it was fun to be received well and to have people be open to talking about kind of uncomfortable topics as I'm pretty used to talking about. And, uh, you know, Raymond, uh, unbeknownst to me, Raymond used to be the worship leader at Harvest, like Greg Laurie's church, just mega, mega, mega church. Used to tour around doing these like massive crusades with Greg Laurie leading worship. It was, it's wild, like for tens of thousands of people. Uh, so it was cool getting to meet him and, and hear about his background in church and that some of his, uh, experiences with this entire mega church culture. I mean, he's a pastor and a worship leader and is very much in the, uh, space, but he was, I think he, he wanted to bring me to hopefully, have an actual dialogue about um, some of the things I talk about in the book and that I wrestle with openly online um, and hopefully enlighten his congregation. There was probably like 200 people there or so. So I think it was a good number to to start out with. Like if I had done my first speaking gig in front of 10,000 people, that might have been a little different story. Probably a few more voice cracks, probably a few more uh, butchered stories. But this was a um, a pretty good intro, hopefully, into speaking. And I don't know if, who listens to this, but if you are interested in getting me to come speak at your event or do an interview or chop it up, however, just shoot me a note, info at preachersandseekers.com, or you can go to preachersandseekers.com and there's a speaking tab that you can click and it's basically going to lead you to send an email to either info or management at preachersandseekers.com and we could talk about it. I mean, I'm looking to travel. I'm looking to do some more events. So if that kind of thing interests you would love, even if it's like, it sounds like maybe it's a good idea, just holler at me and we could talk about it. And so for today's episode of the podcast, other than me literally ranting for the past, I don't know, 10 minutes, I got the audio from this past weekend for my first speaking engagement because I just love pain and want the entire world to judge me. Um, how they see fit. And so I got, uh, I think it's like a 15 minute interview or so. So nothing crazy, but Raymond was kind enough to share the audio with me from stage. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. I didn't, uh, I probably didn't present my stories in the like crispest way. Like, you know, when you, when you hear a crispiest, crispest, most concise way, you know, when you hear people that speak all the time, they've got a really well-packaged presentation. They've got their couple stories and jokes that they know work, kind of like a stand-up comedian. After you iterate on these things over and over and over, you know what works. Me, like I was literally just up there trying to answer questions the best I could in a way that uh, was entertaining and hopefully helpful. 
So you'll get to hear the audio. Nobody asked for this, but uh, I thought it would be an interesting diversion from maybe how I've been doing the podcasts. And who knows? Maybe you might learn something, enjoy a portion of our discussion because um, we talked all about, you know, Raymond is was preaching from James 2, which is about favoritism. And a part of my whole deal is, you know, this question about whether or not we should be elevating guys and girls as celebrities, i.e. showing favoritism towards certain people over the others. And so I think it's a helpful discussion. I think it's a helpful thing to wrestle with if you have never done so previously. And I thought he did a good job of keeping the discussion fair and also allowing me to say my piece. So fun stuff. I got the audio from Raymond. I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, a live interview from the Sunday night service at Calvary Chapel East Anaheim this past weekend. And it was a good time. And I, I left there feeling energized about the prospect of doing more of that. Like some people literally would rather die than speak in front of people. Maybe this is me being a narcissist or whatever, but I actually enjoyed, I enjoyed being up there and speaking like, sure, it's kind of nerve wracking before you get up on stage, but after you do it. And then after I got off the stage, I was like, Whoa, that, that felt pretty good. Even though like I didn't have people on their feet, uh, you know, moving into revival or anything, it felt good to have people respond to the things I said. And I totally get how, you know, if you have a, a congregation of 5,000 people all saying yes to all of your sermon points, I can see how that could potentially go to your head or at least get uh, addicting because it's almost like a, I think it is a dopamine hit when you're when you're the type of person that likes to likes the rush of speaking in front of people and then getting fee- real-time feedback. So speaking was fun. Uh, the guy that led worship, Michael G. Monroe, was actually super good. Um, it's surprising. Like he, he leads worship at Canyon Hills in Seattle, I think is what it's called, Canyon something. Canyon Hills, Canyon Ranch, something like that. And he was like super talented. This dude's got a really good voice and really good presence on stage. Like, oh, this dude is actually bringing it. And a uh, funny story about this dude, Michael, he told me after uh, I got off the stage and we were chatting before I left, we were talking about flying back. And don't worry. I flew coach on American. I had a super early flight. Relax. Okay. I was like in the coachiest of coach seats. So relax. Michael G. Monroe said every flight that he goes on, he in the, you know, one of those like Hudson news or whatever shops in the airport, he buys like some high rent expensive candy, like the Ferrero Rocher type chocolates. And as he's getting on the plane, he gives those to the flight attendants as he's walking in. It's basically like, Hey, appreciate what you do, blah, blah. And you know, I have no way to validate this, but he says every time he does that, he gets upgraded to first class. And on the way to this, uh, cause he flew in from Seattle to the worship for this deal. He said he got upgraded to first class because he gave these flight attendants these exquisite chocolates. I was like, are you kidding? Are you blowing? You're blowing my mind right now, dude. But also, got to say, this guy's better looking than the average uh, person. So there's probably some of that at play for sure because, you know, he, you know, pretty nice looking dude, I would say. But I thought it was I thought it was funny. I was like, I should probably try that, suck in a little bit, and then walk on the plane with uh, – 
some Ferrero Rochers for the flight attendants and hopefully get that free upgrade, bro. All right, I digress. Here's the audio for from my first speaking engagement ever, Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim in Anaheim, California, with Raymond Gregory. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you get something out of it. And let me know what you think. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Preachers and Sneakers. And subscribe to the YouTube. I got some big things coming on YouTube. Um, my channel is called Preachers and Sneakers. Wow, shocker alert. But if you're into uh, the visual type format, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube as well. And I guess this, this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, so I shouldn't even said this goes without saying. Buy the Preachers and Sneakers book. If you haven't checked out the book, this is like the pinnacle of all my efforts and research and work and insight into this whole topic. So if you still think I'm a jerk and can't stand what I do on Instagram, I'd encourage you to pick up the book, check it out. We're actually doing a book club that started yesterday, June 30th. We're going to be doing it for the next three weeks on Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern time with Jonathan Merritt on Instagram Live. That's completely free, but you will need the book in order to participate. I mean, technically, you don't need the book to participate, but you'll get a more meaningful participation experience if you have read the book. So would love it if everybody picked up a copy of the book. All right, enough rambling. Here's my conversation with Raymond Gregory at Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. This is your first time speaking in front of a live uh, audience. It is. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah. Right, no pressure. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> how did you go from watching worship videos on a Sunday where you couldn't be at church to becoming basically this cultural figure <laughs> and unearthing this conversation that we're going to have right now? Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, I was in business school getting my MBA, and I was doing it full-time, and so I didn't have a, a job, really. And so to make ends meet, I was doing a couple side hustles. One was I was DJing on the weekends, which my wife was so proud of me DJing as a grown person. Um, and also I was flipping sneakers. There's certain sneakers out there that if, if you're not aware, you can, if you get lucky enough to buy some of them, you can sell them for a profit. And so I was doing that a little bit to try to pay the bills. And so I knew about sneakers and, um, I also grew up in church. I've been a Christian my entire life. I grew up in the South, and so it's almost uh, a given. And uh, so one night back in March of 2019, I DJed at this place in Dallas. I'm, I live in Dallas currently um, until like 3 o'clock in the morning, and my wife was out of town on a trip. And the next morning, I obviously slept through church. And as a Southern Christian dude, I felt the guilt inside that I had to check the box somehow. And so well, for whatever reason, that morning, I've never done that before or since, I just decided to look up worship videos on YouTube. And there was this one elevation worship song that was stuck in my head. And I started watching the video and quickly noticed that the guy leading the song was wearing a pair of shoes that were selling for 800 to $1,000. And as, uh, as a guy that knew about sneaker culture and grew up in the church and everything, something in me stirred, and I didn't know what it was. I don't know if it was me being irritated or jealous or just confused about, like, how can this guy be wearing $800 shoes as a worship leader. Um, and so what that eventually turned, I, I made a few videos on my personal Instagram account and people laughed. I, I was a nobody. I, I am a nobody, but people thought it was funny and were surprised that shoes could be worth so much. And what that eventually turned into was me reposting mega church pastors photos that they posted themselves and then putting the price tag or value of their outfits right next to their own photo and just putting those two things next to each other caused people to lose their minds, both, you know, 
uh, at me and at some of these pastors. And so what it, it, I've been doing this for two and a half years and it's since turned into kind of a conversation piece about how we do church in the West and our obsession with wealth and fame and Instagram and image and all these kind of things. And so now I get to sit up here and talk with y'all, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you said something stirred in you because uh, I, I was reading your book. So he's got a book by the way that he wrote and it's an excellent book. I, I listened to it on audiobook because I actually wanted to hear the interview at the end. It's an excellent book, uh, excellent read. It is available on, on Amazon, and I would highly recommend the read. It's, it's thought-provoking, and it's laden with biblical truth, and it's, it's obvious that you love the Lord, and you just want to do right by Him anyway. But in the book, you, you talk about your Harley moment uh, with your parents. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. So I, I grew up in North Louisiana in this town called Ruston and had two great parents. I had a great family, middle-class upbringing. Um, but my parents did a, one thing that stuck out to me about my childhood is they did a really good job of basically displaying radical generosity to the point where it was almost painful for us, where we had to neglect trips and things and, uh, stuff that we didn't like, you know, we as kids would ask for and definitely didn't deserve, but, uh, they would forego those things so that they could continue giving to our church and blessing people that, uh, were without. And, in, in the book, I, I told the story about our pastor who um, drove up to our house. This was like 25 years ago. I was six years old. <clears throat> and he drove up to our house in a brand new Harley. And I used that story to illustrate this was the first time that I at least raised an eyebrow at this tension of what, what do we do with people that live off support but seem to be living in luxury? Um, I didn't know what to do with that then. I had no context. I was, in, I was a young, dumb kid, and there was plenty of nuance around that individual situation. But I used it to say, this was my Harley moment, and come to find out there are hundreds of thousands of other people that have had the same moment where they see their pastor wearing a $10,000 watch or something like that. And um, that seemed to resonate with people, and I want to be the type of person that wrestles with those things. You shared with me in the back that... Uh your parents kind of filled you in with the generosity of your pastor toward you. And so later on you learned, oh, wow, he was very generous with our family that yeah. I had no idea about. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the scriptures say not to muzzle the ox that treads the grain. It's a difficult job, and so they should be compensated well in, in what Absolutely. they use their money for. It's between them and the Lord, of course. But what you said there, you had your Harley moment. Now, if that goes unchecked and you just kind of push it deep down, there's a danger because it could start to fester. What do you think is the line that we can walk as people who are in ministry between being culturally relevant and culturally driven? That is, you know, it's kind of a tough question because there's nuance to a lot of these things. Um, I, let me hear me say this. I am not the authority on what people can and can't wear or what they can and can't spend. I, I do feel led to ask questions about some of these things in hopes of getting people to question their own life and hopefully speak up about their own church body. Cause I think it's a net positive to do that. Um, I think it's fine to dress culturally relevant, to understand about culture, to speak in a way that, uh, isn't tacky to like wear clothes that aren't like a pleated suit, which I think there's plenty of margin to uh, work in there. Um, I think it is dangerous though, when it's pretty hard to tell the difference between you and your church and the outside world. Um, because at a certain point, 
you have to dilute some things to look and act and appear like uh, the world. And so it's difficult, but if you're not thinking about it at all and just saying, all right, this is what we do as modern churchgoers, as modern church leaders, we dress this way, we worship this way, we spend our money this way, we do our church building this way without asking any questions about the utility of it or what does God actually want for us or what, uh, what are we actually trying to achieve by appearing this way? Um, you should be able to speak to that as church leaders and people that attend a church. Many of these pastors have been gifted these things. They didn't, they didn't spend money on these things. Uh, some of them have. Uh, many of them have people in their congregation who want to bless them, and so they'll, they'll take them to Nike and say, buy anything you want, I'll cover the tab, you know, and stuff like that. And so, like you said, this is a nuanced conversation. You know, some of these guys are just being blessed, right? Some of these guys are just being wise with their money. Some of them have books, and they sell books and stuff like that. But uh, what do you think about that? But uh, Yeah, individually, it's impossible for us to know the the nuance of every individual situation. But if you take a step back and look at the macro view of how we do church currently, it does seem like a lot of us care a ton about stuff that doesn't matter. And we obsess about increasing our numbers and increasing our production value and increasing uh, our book sales or whatever conference attendees. And uh, that's not really based on anything. It's just kind of been a, uh, trickle over the years about what successful church looks like. And I think we should start asking questions about, you know, why we appear the way we do or um, why church can look like to the outside world, look like we just care about money or just care about manipulating people, that kind of thing. And that's, that should be a serious thing to consider for our church body. Yeah. You've been able to be a voice to people in prominent positions and it sparked a conversation and actually a heart change um, from what I heard. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. And people will debate me about whether or not God has a hand in this at all, because some have questioned my salvation over the price tag of these, me showing people the price tag of these sneakers. But I, I don't know why he, like, he chose me to be a part of this conversation because it's way bigger than me. It's, it's way more important. And, um, you know, I'm not exactly equipped to lead, you know, long-term change in how we do church, but, um, it's been very encouraging to talk with some of these guys who have acknowledged like, Hey, we thought pretty highly of ourselves, but, uh, you, basically pointing out some things that seemed weird about our culture, our strange Christian megachurch subculture allowed us to maybe come down a couple notches, uh, and which was helpful, but not everybody, not everybody responded that way. There was several people that were not too happy about me showing the world that their shoes were worth $1,200, which, um, but them having a negative reaction was almost validation to me because like, why are you getting so angry that people now know how much your shoes are worth or how much your belt is worth or whatever? That seems to be something that you should probably uh, look at inside because you're really angry at me for basically showing facts. And um, so that, that part was, it, it started to be discouraging to hear kind of negative responses. But then once I thought about it and processed it with my community and stuff, it was actually validation but on the positive side, it was encouraging to have some guys that were very influential, that had huge platforms, reach out to me and um, at least have a meaningful dialogue about 
um, a pretty complex situation, but it's just weird how it starts with this, you know, almost insignificant thing, sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When I love what Judas Smith said, he's a pastor of church home in Seattle and LA. And uh, he's like, you know what? I got a group of guys around me now to hold me accountable on a lot of things. He's I'll look at my, I'll look at my outfit in the morning and am I going to stumble somebody by wearing this outfit? Am I going to be a hindrance for the gospel to go out just because of the price tag of my clothes? And it's because I don't want to end up on preachers and sneakers. Is basically what yeah, it's said. like it's this weird thing where you don't you don't want to be controlled by some random dude on the internet. But also there could be some validity in what people are maybe saying about you because you're choosing to be on a public platform and you have a public persona. Um, but I was encouraged by I mean especially the conversation with Judah and other guys that said there were certain guys that gave away thousands and thousands of dollars of clothes that they didn't pay anything for because they didn't want their clothing to detract from what they should be doing and that's pointing people to Jesus and. And that was very encouraging. And I never, I never asked that of anybody. I've never called anybody to, you know, throw away their clothing. But um, it's encouraging that they would maybe take some of the critique to heart. When I love it, like, like you corrected me just now, uh, just a minute ago. I'm not criticizing. I'm just raising the question. You know, you're there's a, there's plenty of people in the comment section that are criticizing. Sure. And it's hard not on to... On Instagram? Yeah, on Instagram. It's on shocker. social media? Shocker. No, only it's on my a, account, though. It's such a pure place. Everybody else is so kind on the internet. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is easy to align all the comments in my comment section to what I believe, and it's just not the case. But uh, there's plenty of... Yeah, there are plenty of people that criticize them. What I love about you, just in the time I got to spend with you, you're a humble dude, and you just had a baby. Where your wife just had a baby. Yeah, my wife did. You helped. I did, a, I did a lot. Yeah. I really helped. Two months old. Two months old, our first. Yeah, a little boy. And so his trip away is even more of a blessing because he gets to sleep a little bit because That's he hasn't right. slept in two months. That's right. Uh, I'm the one that for sure deserves a, uh, oh. a night off. <laughs> you got, yeah, so note to any of the guys, if you get 250,000 followers, you get a little bit of a break. Uh, yeah, totally. From, she totally yeah. cares about that. She she is so happy for you. It's but it, I mean, it, it's been crazy because the baby came a week before the book came out. And so I, it's a ridiculous prospect, but it actually has been great because it, it put all of it in perspective. Like once you have, this is my first child, I have no idea what I'm doing, but it put it in perspective in that like, because the baby came out healthy and, and my wife is healthy, literally anything that happens with the book is just gravy. And if nothing happens with it, okay, that's fine. Like, uh, it really helped me to keep things in perspective, which I'm very grateful for. Where are you going to go from here? Like what's next for preachers and sneakers? Yeah. My, my wife is asking the same thing (laughs) because it's, uh, like you said, I have had a strange background. I was in the Marines and then I was in, uh, worked in business for a little bit and then went back to business school. And now I have a social media account as a grown person. Uh, I, I don't completely know what's going to happen, but I hope that through the book or the podcast or whatever, or, uh, I hope I can get people to at least take a step in being more real about what it means to actually follow Jesus instead of this performative thing that churches so easily can become. If I can get people to be authentic and real about their own lives, like, hey, none of us have it together. And me putting on a show on social media and showing people how great my life is doesn't really serve anybody. And if I can get people to personally audit their own presence on social and their own heart with why they buy things, why they give and why they save, that kind of thing, 
that seems to be a win. I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to buy diapers off of that, but if I, you know, inherently that will be a net positive if I get people to do that. And so how that looks in the future, I, I don't know, but um, I'm honored to, to play a part somehow. Again, it's weird how God can use an insignificant thing like sneakers and the preachers that wear them to cause people to discuss pretty heady topics. Um, and it feels important and I don't completely know why, I'm the guy for that, but I'm just going to continue to try to be diligent with it as I can. Amen. Hey, let's thank Ben for being here. And thank uh, y'all. Thank y'all so much for having me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.